I'm excited to jump into the Word this morning. Uh, last week, I uh, didn't quite get to finish what I wanted to share with you. I think we got the main point, but what we missed was the how. And uh, so we talked about last week in our series, Mastermind. And if, this is, if you're a guest with us today, obviously we have lots of family, lots of friends with us here today. We're in a series entitled Mastermind. And it's based off this principle that if I could change my thoughts, I could change my life. That my worst enemy is not my boss, it's not my neighbor, it's not the bully from high school, it's not even the devil. My worst enemy is my own mind. It's my own thoughts. And, and, and Paul wrote to us that we have to take every thought captive that is raising itself up against the Word of God. Here's the problem. I'm not even worried about the thoughts of the people around me if I can't get control of my own thoughts. I'm coming against God. So I've got to get control of my thoughts. If I could change my thoughts somehow, I'm just totally convinced that God could change my life. It starts small and grows from there. So we talked about this, and, and again, if you're new, I, I don't have time today to do a full recap, but I want to encourage you, you can download our app at Triumph Church TX, and all the sermons are on there, or you can go to our website at triumphbeaumont.com, and you can uh, catch up, because I really believe this has the potential. It's already begun to change and shape my life, the life of my family. I was teaching my kids uh, this weekend on the same thing I'm going to teach and talk about today, and I believe it's already having an impact on what we're doing, how we're functioning. It's not just uh, about how you live as a Christian, but it's every day. It's every area of your life. And uh, so I want to encourage you to, to follow along with us. Last week, uh, I, I wanted to help us all get back to a place where we understand not only how God sees us, but how we should see ourselves. And that it isn't enough just to know that God loves you, but we ought to fall in love with ourselves as well. And I know this has some... Uh, uh, controversy with it because we all know people who are so full of themselves that no one wants to be around them. I'm, I'm not advocating for that. But I am saying that we can get to the place in life where we love who we are. We love who God has made us to be. With all of our flaws and with all of our mess-ups and with all of our hang-ups, we love us because God loves us. We love the things that God loves. And so I want to encourage you to love yourself because God loves you. Why, why should we hold ourselves to a different standard than the God who created us? If he loves, I love how Mary and Martha approached Jesus as they talked about Lazarus. They said, Jesus, we came to tell you that Lazarus, the one whom you love, is sick. And I just think we ought to approach God that way. Jesus, it's me, Randon, the one whom you love. Not so much to remind God because he hasn't forgotten, but I just think we ought to remind ourselves that God loves us, so we should love ourselves too. And to do that, we have to reframe the way we view our lives. It might be the situation you're going through. It might be certain weaknesses or struggles that you have in your life, things that you do that you know you shouldn't do, but you try not to do and you can't seem to get past it. We have to reframe it. You can take the same picture, and, and I showed this to you last week, but you know, I, I showed you a picture that had a storm and sunshine through it. You can frame the storm and assume that everything in your life is just a storm. I'm going to need some water. <coughs> or 
you could take the same picture and frame the sunshine. That doesn't mean that there, is no, there are no storms in your life. That doesn't mean there are no bad things in your life. But it doesn't deny the facts. It just means that there are good things in your life. Remember, uh, Paul said this, that as we behold as in a mirror the glory of God and the goodness of God and the presence of God, as we get in his presence, he's changing us from glory to glory. There's good in you, you just may not have known it. There's glory in you, and you may not have known it. You say, Pastor Renan, how can you say that? You don't even know me. Well, maybe I don't. But I have read both of Paul's letters to the church of Corinth, and they were some messed up people. They, they had problems everywhere. And yet Paul said, even to them, even with their mistakes, even with their struggles, God's changing you from glory, from one good place to an even better place. And then when you get there, he's going to move you again to an even greater glory. God wants to take you from where you are to a better place, to a better glory. How many of you believe that this morning? So we have to reframe our lives. Re remember there are neural pathways in our brain, and, and we build a bridge. When we think a thought, we build a bridge. And the more you think the thought, the easier it is to think the thought you just thought. That's a lot of thinking and thoughting. The, the more you think a particular thought, the easier it is to think that thought again. So for instance, if I tell you the sky is blue and you, and you decide in your mind, okay, the sky is blue, it is much easier then the next time you want to think what color is the sky? It's easier to think the sky is blue because you've already built that bridge. And every time you repeat a thought, it becomes easier to repeat the thought. This can work in the positive. You could think positive thoughts in your life, and then it would be easier to think positively in other areas of your life as well. Or you could think negative. You could think the whole world is out to get you, that the whole world is against you. And then as you go through life, Everything that happens, you go back to that same thought, the world is against me. Oh, this happened because the world is against me. Oh, that happened because the world is out to get me. Or you can think the whole world is for you. And when good things happen in your life, you can just assume. Your mind will just naturally assume. When you're driving down the, the, the roads at Walmart, and you're waiting on that front row parking spot to open up, and it finally opens up. If you have a thought in your mind that God is for you and he is working all things for your good, then it's very easy to say, look at what God just did for me. I had a friend, and uh, he, I don't see him here today, but he used to always say, because he was one of those guys that would drive up and down the aisles for 10 or 12 minutes, and when a spot would finally open up, because you know, if you wait long enough, a spot will finally open up, he would pull in and he would go, and that's why I go to church right there. But it's all because we create these neural pathways in our life. And once we think a thought, it's so much easier to think that same thought again. We have to reframe our life. We create cognitive biases, lenses, frames that we see the world through. And everything that happens in the whole world around us goes through these lenses, these frames. I want to talk to you really quickly about how to reframe your life. You see, I, I'm convinced of this. Um, and my, my team, I'm moving ahead just a little bit. I'm convinced that you can't always control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. 
There are go if you don't know this yet, I'm, I'll just be the first to tell you, I guess. There are going to be things in your life that happen to you that are completely outside of your control. You can't stop them and you can't fix them. But what you can do is control how you frame it. You can control how you see it. I want to give you really quickly four ways to reframe your life. If you're taking notes, please write these down. Go on and think, go back and think on them, study on them, uh, and apply them to your life. Number one, we have to keep our flaws in perspective. Now, I, I'm a bit uh, OCD, and, and I'm a bit of an, an obsessor, and, an, and an, I analyze things uh, too much quite often. I, I look too deeply. I stay on things too long, and I struggle. Once my brain gets on something, I struggle to get off of it. This is the way God made me, and uh, I love Him for it. At times, I'm angry at Him for it, but overall, I, I usually love Him for it. Um, but here's, here's what it means. There are times when, I, when, I, when a flaw is exposed in my life, I can't get off of it. And the longer I, I start to punish myself over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, and I start to see that flaw everywhere in everything that I do. And you know what happens if you beat yourself up long enough? You end up broken. You end up angry at the world. You wake up in the morning and you're mad at your kids. They didn't even do anything. They're not even out of bed yet. And yet you're angry at them. It has nothing to do with them. It's because you've been beating yourself up over your own flaws. I know this and I understand this because this is something I struggle with. Because when I get on a flaw in my life, it takes God to get me off of it. Now, the flip side of my personality is when I get stuck on something good, it can work to my positive as well. But I have to be careful to keep my flaws in perspective doesn't mean we don't have flaws raise your hand if you're if you don't have any flaws in your life in here okay one all right maybe two for the rest of us we all have flaws but we have to keep them in perspective we don't want the whole world to constantly point out our flaws and enlarge our flaws why do we do it to ourselves I, I mentioned this last week, um, that we don't have to fix ourselves before we come to God. So why do we have to feel like we should fix ourselves before we like ourselves? You know what? Love yourself again, and out of that, you'll begin to work on your weaknesses. I'm not telling you to just let your flaws go, let your weaknesses go. No, work on them. If there are areas in your life that need work, work on them. But don't let them become bigger than the good things that God is doing in your life. You see, focusing on your weaknesses will distract you from your purpose. If you get so caught up in your weaknesses, it'll distract you from your purpose. Let me give you an illustration. In the book of Exodus, the children of Israel have been in bondage to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for hundreds of years. They're in slavery. When I say bondage, I literally mean they were slaves in the land of Egypt. And God chooses Moses and sets him apart, even as a child, one version says of Moses that he was no ordinary kid. And he set Moses up. And then later in his life, he is ready to use Moses to send him back into Egypt to deliver all of the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, into the promised land. It's going to be a huge thing. It's, uh, Moses is one of the two or three greatest heroes in all of Scripture. And yet Moses comes 
to God. And here, you have to put this, this in perspective. God ignites a burning bush and he starts speaking to Moses from the burning bush. And he starts saying, Moses, I want you to do this, and you're going to do that. And he starts talking to Moses about purpose and about his future and about what he's going to, how he's going to use him. And yet Moses comes back to God, and he gives him four excuses. First of all, in verse 11, he says, God, you know, who am I to do this? They don't even know who I am. God answers this question, and you would think that would be enough for Moses. But no, he goes to his next problem. He said, well, Lord, they don't even know you. Who are you? Moses, and so God answers that protest. And the Bible says in verse uh, chapter 4, verse 1, that Moses protested it again. And he said, well, what if they don't believe me? And so God answers that protest. And finally, his final complaint was, well, Lord, I don't speak well. Moses had a bit of a stutter. It's funny that Moses makes this excuse, I don't speak well, and then for the next 40 years, he never shuts up. All he does is speak and create new laws. That's all he does. 633 to be exact. And yet, here's Moses, who is so caught up on all his flaws. I'm not the right guy, God. They don't even know you. They're not going to believe me. No one believes me. I'm just, and I don't even speak well. I don't even talk well. I'm not even a communicator. I, I, I've got a stutter. No one's going to listen to me. And he gets so caught up on his less than moments, his weaknesses, his flaws, that it's distracting him from the purpose that God had sent him to the earth for. Moses, this is your moment. And that's what the enemy wants to do in your life. The enemy can't, if you start following God, that's what I want you to understand. You start following God, you start walking in his steps, you start doing what he tells you to do, you start living out your purpose, the enemy can't stop you. So all he can do is drop thoughts in your mind to convince you to stop yourself. Keep your flaws in perspective. We ought to focus on what is right with us, not what is wrong with us. Focus on what is right with you. There are right things with you. There are right things in your mind. You're here today. There is something right with you because you're in the house of God this morning. I don't know what drove you here today. I don't know what got you here today, but you are here, and that's a great place to start. Focus on what is right with you. Number one, keep your flaws in perspective. Number two, enjoy the process. Paul said we're moving from glory to glory. We're going from this moment to that moment. We're going from good thing to even greater thing. We're moving from glory to glory. But fighting the process is frustrating. It's frustrating when you're fighting the process. But the truth is this. You are most pliable when you are at peace with yourself and when you trust God in the process. If you'll just let God work, if you'll just let him work in you and work through you and take you from glory to glory, you'll get there quicker. Fighting the process slows you down. It slows the process of change down. It slows the process of what God is doing down. Don't fight the process, but enjoy the process. Are you out there this morning? I know I'm moving quickly. I want to go to number three. Continually put in positive thoughts. Continually put in positive thoughts. Um, for those that know me, know that I've coached baseball and softball for eight years or so now. I've spent a lot of time giving hitting lessons and fielding lessons and, and all these things. One of the things that I learned uh, from another coach years ago is that, let's say we, I'm, I'm giving a, a hitting lesson. Let's say my daughter is, is hitting, she's left handed. And so let's say she has a problem of dropping her hands in her swing. 
The more I say to her, don't drop her hands, you know what she's going to do? She's going to drop her hands. The more she thinks in her mind, don't drop my hands, don't drop my hands, don't drop my hands, she ends up dropping her hands. So what we have to do is replace the negative thought with a, with a positive thought. So rather than saying, Kennedy, don't drop your hands, we say, Kennedy, keep your hands by your ear. So instead of thinking the negative, she's thinking the positive. She's thinking to do something rather than not to do something. Your brain works the same way. Let me give you a for instance. Clear your mind just for a second. Clear the canvas of your mind. Now, do not think about a pink elephant. How many of you thought about a pink elephant? I just told you not to think about a pink elephant. I said, don't think about a pink elephant. And what is your mind right now? You're all thinking about a pink elephant. Dumbo ears and all. Why? Because when we say not to do something, what do we do? Oh, what? What do I not do? And we, and we do that exact same thing. How many of you know your life functions this way? All right? This is the way our brain works. The moment you say don't do something, we just go do it. So here's the principle. What we have to do is put in the positive thought. Let's look at it from the Word of God. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Here's what Paul said. Now remember, Paul is writing this from prison. He's facing execution. He's facing trial. He is in prison. He's not living in a mansion somewhere. He is in prison. And here's what he said. I could think on that. I could think on all the negative. Instead, here's what we should do. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Here's what Paul said. I don't want you to get so caught up on trying not to think the negative. I want you to put in the positive from the word go. I want to illustrate it for you really quickly. So imagine with me, if you will, that this Coke is your negative thoughts. Why Coke? Because I'm a Dr. Pepper drinker. So this glass is your brain. And we're going to fill your brain with the negative thoughts, right? This is, this is how we live our life, full of negative thoughts. Now, we could try to pour out the Coke, but in the world we live in today, as soon as you pour out the Coke, more Coke is going to go right back in. Because there is always something negative that you can think about. If you run short... Turn on the television for five minutes. If you run short, get on social media just for a moment. Because there's always negative in our life. Here's what Paul is saying. We shouldn't try so hard to get rid of the negative thoughts. What we should do is add in positive. Don't worry about the negative. Don't beat yourself up because you made a mistake and drink and, and thought the wrong thing. Don't make them, don't worry about it. Just begin to fill your mind, fix your mind on positive things. So whatever it takes, if you need to read scripture, if you need to go and join a small group, whatever you need to do in your life, continue to think about pure thoughts. A thought comes into your mind. Don't beat yourself up. Bad thoughts come into all of our minds. But just because a thought comes into your mind doesn't mean you have to think it. What do we do instead? We start thinking about things that are good, things that are pure, things that are noble, things that are praiseworthy. I, I think I'm going to need a bigger bowl. 
But do you notice what's happening? Did I touch the Coke? No. And yet look at what's happening in our glass. Suddenly, our glass is full of good things. It's full of water. Don't, don't, don't try to get rid of the negative thoughts. Just fix your mind on the positive thoughts. The negative thought comes in. Say, whew, that was close, but keep on moving. I'm not going to thank you today. Let's think a positive thought. When the devil tells you something about yourself... Let the devil just keep on moving, and you start thinking something positive that God has said about you in your life. Bill, if you'll come help me with this. Uh, Iron, if you'll help me. Here, here's the point. We can get so caught up in our lives trying to get out the negative. We'll never do it. We get caught in a cycle. There is always something negative to think about in your life. Do you get the point that I'm saying to you here? Uh, I'm sorry, we're making a bit of a mess here. But here's what I want to show you. I want to read you this verse one more time, but in the Message Bible. Listen to what Paul says in the Message Version. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Do you have it for me, guys? Here's what he says. Summing it all up, friends. I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds. Filling it. Filling it uh, and meditating on things true and noble and reputable and authentic and compelling and gracious. The best, not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. Here's what he said. Quit trying to pour out the bad. Just fill your mind with good. And what are we going to do? We are going to displace the negative thoughts with positive thoughts. What Paul's saying? Quit worrying about it. Quit beating yourself up. You thought a negative thought. I understand. Don't stress over it. Just start thinking positive thoughts. Number three is continually put in positive thoughts. Can I get an amen this morning? Did you get that? All right, number four. Here's what we ought to do is practice pre-framing. What do you mean by pre-framing, Pastor Randon? What I mean is this. I know that difficulties are coming in my life. I know that negative situations are coming in my life. I know that hard times are coming in my life. Before they ever come, I'm going to frame them with the Word of God. Here's what Peter said. Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Instead, be glad that you're in the very thick of what Christ experienced. This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. Here's what he said. Before it ever happens... When life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Instead, be glad. Know that God is on the job. Know that God is just around the corner, that glory is just around the corner. We ought to frame and we ought to set it up understanding that God is going to work on my behalf long before the trouble ever comes. Like, Don't get surprised by problems in your life and say, man, God, this is so horrible. Where are you? Long before bad things come to me, I'm saying, whatever happens today, Lord, for the good, I know that you're working on my behalf. When, when struggles come my way today, when difficulties come my way today, God, I'm not going to be surprised. But I'm already framing it that you're in control and glory is just around the corner. L look at the person next to you and say, you need to know that glory is just around the corner for you. 
our, our thoughts shape what we experience. If things are hard, it can be a challenge or it can be an opportunity for growth. How do you see it? When you have to go to an event that you can't stand, you can, you can make yourself miserable and your family miserable, or you can declare, this is an opportunity to spend some time with my wife. Whatever the case is, there is a way that you can frame it. Because what we believe determines how we behave. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 and 4. People, with their minds set on you, you keep completely whole, steady on their feet because they keep at it and they don't quit. When our minds are set on you, God, you keep us steady. You keep us at peace. We're not quitting because our minds are set on, set on you. Depend on God and keep at it because in the Lord God, you have a sure thing. Why do I frame my mind that God is working every day? Because I know that the Word of God says that in Him, I have a sure thing. I have a God that will never leave me nor forsake me. I have a God that will always be there for me. I have a God that will show up. I have a God that is a miracle worker. I have a God that is a provider. I have a God that is a healer. I have a God that is a comforter and brings me peace. I have that kind of God. He is a sure thing. I'm not going to interpret God through my circumstances, but instead, I am going to interpret my circumstances through the goodness of God. It's all in how you frame it. I want to close with this today, and, and uh, I, want to, I want to speak into your spirit for just a moment. In the New Testament, I've often today been quoting a man by the name of, of the Apostle Paul. But his name wasn't actually Paul, it was Saul. There are men in the Bible where God changed their name. He changed the name of Jacob to Israel. He changed the name of Abram to Abraham. He even ch changed Sarai's name to Sarah. And we think that God changed Saul's name to Paul, but he didn't. In fact, as you study the book of Acts, not only on the road when Jesus spoke to Saul for the first time, but throughout his conversion in the first part of his ministry, God spoke to him and called him Saul. So why is it that his name was changed to the Apostle Paul? Why did he start going by the name Paul? Here's why. Saul was a, a very popular name in the tribe of Benjamin, which was where Saul was from. Because the tribe of Benjamin was where the first king of Israel, King Saul, came from. And so it's a very popular name in the tribe of Benjamin to name yourself after one of their great heroes, the first king, the only king to come from Benjamin, King Saul. So they named him Saul. It's a Jewish name. It's a good Jewish name. You should very, be very proud of it. The problem was this. As Saul was first converted and began his ministry for the first number of years, he spent much of his time around Jerusalem and he and Peter and the other apostles spent all of their time focusing on the Jews. This was not a bad thing. The Jews needed to hear the Word of God. The gospel was first for the Jews, but secondly for all of us. And so they spent all their time focusing on the Jews. So Saul went by the name Saul because it was a Jewish name. But the Greek translation of his name was the name Paul. And one day, in Acts the 12th chapter, 13th chapter, Paul is no longer among the Jews, but he's on his first missionary journey. He's on his first mission trip, and he's leaving the Jews behind, and he's going to preach to the Gentiles. And he faces a Gentile ruler. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 13, this is the first time we see it, that Saul 
was also called Paul. Now Saul is still referring to himself as Saul. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, was still referring to himself as Saul up until this point. You can go read Acts chapter 13. But in this moment, Saul has an encounter with the, with the ruler and a sorcerer, and he calls out the sorcerer and tells him to be silent. And in that, great miracles take place, and suddenly Paul's ministry to the Gentiles is launched. And no longer is Saul only an apostle to the Jews, but now he has been called to reach the world. Here's what happened. I want you to get a picture of this. In this moment, God took the lid off of his destiny and said, everyone thought you were just here for the Jews, but I've called you to reach the world. And so what Luke, his friend, did was said, Saul, you don't need to go by the name Saul anymore. You need to go by the name Paul because your name Paul is representative of what God has called you to. Saul is where you were. Saul is who you used to be. But I, I'm calling you now by Paul. Are you tracking with me? His friend looked at him, Dr. Luke, and said, I've got to change your name. We're going to call you Paul from here on out. And for the rest of Scripture, you see him called Paul because it was connected to his future. Here's what I want to do. Here's what God sent me here to tell you today. There are people in this room that you, you have things that you've been called that connected you to your past, but they also became a ceiling for you. Negative things that have been said about you, small things that have been said about you. And God sent me here to tell you today to remove the lid and allow me to, to, to lead you in a Saul to Paul moment. Can I be your Dr. Luke for a moment and take the ceiling off of your life, see yourself differently, and know that God has called you to bigger things? How many of you want to receive that shift today? Bigger things in your life. Father, I thank you for every person represented here today that you have called us to have a Saul to Paul shift that you've called us to bigger things. You've called us to grander things. Lord, Saul may represent our past, but Lord, you are speaking to us today about our future. So we're going to put in positive thoughts and we're going to fix our mind on what is good and noble and right and pure. And we are going to hear your voice, God, as you call us to bigger things and higher things. I release that now. A name change, God, that releases us into our future. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.